Uh, this is a series that I've been looking at for about three years. It's from North Point Community Church in Georgia. It's a, this is one of those series that when, when I listen to it and I hear it, it just, it just speaks to me. And I'll tell you right now, it's been an encouragement. So I hope today as we continue it that it's an encouragement to you. I want to ask you a question. What, what, do you, what comes to your mind when you think of the word Christian? I think it's a healthy thing to think about. Um, I know for me, myself, uh, Christian is a word that uh, I have been called since I was born. You know, I kind of born into Christian, you know, and so Christian kind of has like a family identity with it, you know, kind of like we would say things like this, we are Christians. And in my mind, all I kept thinking is like, we're also Blazers fans, because we lived in Oregon, and we're also Mariners fans, because that was the closest baseball team, and we don't really know what football is, because Oregon doesn't have football. And I remember thinking at the time, so I'm a Christian, I'm a Blazer, and I'm a Mariner. And it was kind of all at the same time. And, and I know as I grew up, I kind of learned, you know, what the word kind of holds a little bit more than just family. Um, some of you may think positive things, right? You may think real positive things, you know, encouraging, uh, loving, gracious. Uh, I, I know, though, for some of us, even somebody like myself that's grown up in the church, uh, Christian can hold a bad connotation. Uh, it can have some negative things they kind of creep in. Um, and I would ask this then, uh, what do you think the world as a whole thinks of Christians? And let's not, just, maybe the world's too big. Let, let's just go the U.S. Uh, let's go even better. I mean, we, that's a lot of people. I mean, let's just, Missouri, Mount Vernon, getting better, Right? Maybe. Well, there was a time, right around the time that Jesus left, and he said he'd come back, and they were left with this gift of the Holy Spirit and this work to do for all the world, that the Christians were incredibly influential and incredibly powerful to change culture. And if you heard that the Christians were coming and the Christians were here, there was basically two terms that would pop up as being defining characteristics. And I'm going to try not to turn this way. I'm going to turn this way today. Christians were fearless and confident. Now, we don't put the negative confidence in there. This isn't overconfidence. This is assurance. This is a, a founded assurance, confidence. And they were fearless absolutely fearless. Now, when Rome starts to persecute, and Rome starts to tear down, and the Christians become their main target, the churches pretty much went through some similar things that I think we're going through culturally today. I think what ends up happening when you hear those words and you think about where we're at is you start to feel a lot more fear. When doubt creeps in and when things get a little rough, uh, you might find yourself feeling a little more fearful and less confident. And you might find yourself even asking these questions, and I think these are important questions, especially wherever you're at in your faith journey. Whatever journey you're on when it comes to faith, whether it's a first step or it's a step that you've been taking for years and years and years and you're trying to find your next one, you're is it worth it? And is it working? I mean, when things are going well, those are easy answers, but when things get a little rough, things get a little bit 
difficult, those questions start to become a little bit more important and their answers become even more important. The passages of Scripture we're going to look at today are some of the most intimidating Scriptures. I've studied the Bible for a while. I grew up in a Christian home, and, and I'll tell you, the Bible is wildly powerful and incredibly in, uh, deep and meaningful. And it has, it has a power to transform lives. But it does not keep itself limited by the simplicity sometimes that's easy to understand its full potential. And what I mean by that is there are certain sections of scriptures that when you read them, you might have a five-year-old's perspective when you start, and you may get to 55 or 60-year-old perspective, and it can still be fresh and deep and new. And I believe Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 is one of those sections of scripture. The more I read this little section, the more I'm like, wow, there's a lot in there. So I say all that to say this. This is an intimidating section of Scripture to preach. It just is. Because uh, when I go to it, I go, <laughs> much, this, you should just read these two chapters and go, hey, this is really good. Because this has been around for a couple thousand years. It's been passed on. And it's so powerful, so meaningful, that they copied it down at great expense. It's been translated all over the world. And it's still taught today. And we don't even know the person who wrote it for sure. That's how powerful it was. It didn't matter. <laughs> this is the words that are changed. So when I talk about it today, I'll probably say the author was a he, but it could, have been, it could have been a woman just as easily. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, not just because I wanted to pick a powerful section of Scripture. Not just picking it. It's more based on those two questions that we just had on. Go right back to those for just a second. Because Hebrews chapter 11 finds the author talking to a group of people that are exactly the same place that I think we find ourselves. He's talking to a group of Christians who are feeling the effects of some struggle, who are feeling some effects of doubt and hardship, and they're asking these questions. And so the author of Hebrews... He's responding, and he's telling them what they should do, and it is incredible. And it's not weak. It's not stand at a distance. It is not fearful, and it is absolutely a confident answer. So with that, we're going to kind of jump through this, because these are incredible. I can't hit it all. But let's just start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. See, I'm going to keep doing it. i got to practice. We'll come back over here. Do it together. I keep staring at a blank screen. Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Now, if any of you have read the Bible before, this is an incredible definition of faith. An incredible definition of faith. But that's not just Christian faith. That's like all faith. All faith. And I can prove it to you. How many of you have ever had a job where you didn't get paid when you left that job the day you worked? Otherwise, you got a paycheck, right? So you showed up, get this, you showed up, you worked all day and got nada. And then someone came to you and said, in two weeks, I'm going to give you a check for all the time you worked, right? If you didn't have any faith, what would you be saying? Uh-uh. 
Ain't no way. You'll pay me right now, right? Some of y'all have cows out here. Some of them are on the ground. Some of them are still in the bellies, all right? I'm learning what that means. I'm going to translate that language. Scott, you're going to help me, all right? When you go to the auctioneer, right, and you buy a cow, you don't go, okay, so I'm going to need up front the difference between what it weighs now and what it's going to weigh in a year. I'm going to need that right now. You go, no, you take that thing home, you give it whatever you get it, all right, cow petals, all right? Just kidding. I know what it is. Feed, grass, whatever it is. All right, bananas. I'm just kidding. So you give it the stuff. It gets a little bigger. You take it back. What do you get? The thing that you were hoping to get, right? You get the paycheck in two weeks. You get the the payout. But it was on faith in the in-between. Ain't nobody going out in in the middle of the week and asking the cow for the difference in the weight for that week. I'm gonna need it right now. But somehow we equate this that faith is some dramatic thing that only happens when you... Faith is a constant in our world. It's about a relationship of trust. It's about something that being assured of something that you cannot see but you're hopeful for. It's your longing to have happen. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is going to point out. Because he says this, this is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, there's a whole lot of people before you got here that lived on faith, that lived by faith. And in fact, he goes into a kind of compilation montage of like the best and brightest of the faith. And he just starts laying it down. He's like, Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And he's just like, blam, blam. And he's just knocking it out of the park. And he's just starting to say, you realize they all came before you, and then he starts to point something out that maybe you and I don't realize sometimes. Verse 13, he says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They never got their paycheck. God came into all these incredible people's lives and faith was born because God said, look, there's going to be a day, Abraham, when everyone in the world will be, will be absolutely blessed through your family. And Abraham's going, great, I got one kid. When? And then the whole nation of Israel, there'll be a day when the whole world will be blessed through you. Moses is going, Cool. When? In the distance. And you can tell it's like stirring some things up, much like it's probably stirring up in you, or you're starting to go like, oh, in my lifetime. I don't like praying prayers that are not like immediate. Like right now, when I can see it, right? We like to put God on a timeline, don't we? Anybody else pray like that? God, you got till Tuesday night. That's when rents due. <laughs> right? God, this child got detention one more time. He's out. I'm going to need you to turn it around like pronto. I got one more speeding ticket. <laughs> I'm going to need you to just 
chase them away. Let them coppers run. Free the roads. But what's crazy is he doesn't stop the conversation. He increases the intensity. So they were waiting with faith for these promises that they never received. And in the meantime, maybe it was easy to believe in those promises because things were easy. Right? Maybe it's easy to believe in those promises that were distant because, I mean, life was just good. And so, of course, it's easy to believe in a promise far off when life is good. But then the writer of Hebrews says this. But some of them face jeers and flogging. And if you remember last week, flogging is never as simple as just a whip. It is meant to be brutal. Even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And then he just finishes this whole statement by saying, the world was not worthy of them. They worked their whole lives, destitute, the point of suffering, imprisonment, and a murderous death. And the world was not worthy of their faith. How many Christians today would 38 describe? The author of Hebrews doesn't stop there. I wish he'd just, just calm down a little bit, right? Goodness gracious, he's trying to take us out. And he says this in verse uh, 39. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They did not get to see what God had promised, since God had planned something better for us that only, that, that only together with us would they be made perfect? If I had the time, if I had the time, I would love to describe 40 as one of the most important things to recognize. God is not limited by your time and space and energy, and his plans will not be limited by it either. They won't. He refuses to give in because he wants better and perfect. He refuses to give in because he wants better and perfect. But it takes faith. To sum this all up, I think these are two cool statements to kind of help us understand what this is. They were looking forward, these, these ancients, and were faithful. So these ancients, they were looking ahead and going, God is going to make something perfect. He's going to do an incredible work. He is going to bless the world. Never of seeing it, but believing it fully. And what are we doing a lot of the time? We are looking back and are fearful. We look back and hear what God has done. And we're incapable of being 
fearless. We're fearful. I feel this in my own self. I feel this. What is that? Right? What is that in me? What is that in us? That we have seen what they would only long for. And yet we're afraid. So then the author of Hebrews just wants to make sure you get it, and he does such a good job. And if I could teach you anything about interpreting Bible, look at the next word of verse, or chapter 12, verse 1. This is this, therefore. If you ever see a therefore, find out what it's there for. All right? I'm not kidding you. If you ever see a therefore in the Bible, you're like, what is he talking about? He's talking about what we just talked about in, verse, in the whole chapter of 11. He's saying this, what's going to be our response off of their faith, of things they never saw accomplished, but they were completely fearless in and faithful in? What should our response be? Since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us hide and whine and complain and hoard our resources just in case, put our Bibles in a drawer, build bomb shelters, purchase ammunition, blame the cops, blame the president, blame the teachers, blame your mama, demand our rights, build a wall, tax the rich, play it safe, find someone to sue, take back our country and play Jesus comes back so we don't have to suffer. I get everybody? The, the author of this, if he could see the way we lived, if he could see what scares us, how would they respond? What would they say? Let me read you the real verse. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin is not always about what's wrong. It's about missing what's really right, what's really full. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the starter of, the example of, and the protector of our faith. Two thoughts for you off of this. One, there is a group of people in here that you have let the economic state, who or who isn't the president, how things are going in your own world, in your own bank account, how things are going in the greater world economy, whether or not we're going to have the rights that grandma and grandpa or great-grandma and grandpa had, you have let that become the focus of your eyes. And I'll tell you, if you're over the age of 35 or 40, you need to stop it because you're scaring the children. I'm serious. You need to stop it. You're scaring me. 
Look at some of you that have been in faith for so long and you, you suddenly a political season, an economic downturn, some sort of small thing that I'm not trying to undermine any of that. I'm just saying there are some things that are bigger that are untouchable. And when you let it break in and steal the power of the thing that should be at the top, it scares me and it scares our teenagers and it scares our kids. What you lean into, what you allow to give you sway, will, they will lean in. They will think your tone is sending a message. And I want our message to be this. That's what I want our message to be. An assurance of things that are far off, but also an assurance of things that have already happened. There's an assurance in that that we live in. And the second thing is this. If you're under the age, let's just go 35. Do not grow weary or lose heart. There's a temptation that because things have gotten a little bit more difficult, and maybe we talk about it too much around here, that how the good old days, whatever that is, all right? That those that are being raised right now, they're just like, oh, I got the devil in my pocket, and, and life is just going to be too hard, and they're going to be overwhelmed, and faith isn't worth it, and I don't know if I can take it, and it's not making a difference, and don't. Go weary and lose heart. And just to drive it home for all of us, this is what the author of Hebrews says. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That's always the misunderstood idea of the cross, is it was so shameful. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and considered him, ooh, when you're thinking about how bad things are, when you're thinking about giving up, consider Jesus, who did not get caught running out of Jerusalem or hiding in a corner or babbling and crying all the way to the cross, but stood in confidence for you and for me, fearless, who considered him who endured such opposition from sinners so that, it's the point of the whole thing, 11 and 12, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My hope and prayer as we're talking about this today is when you're leaving that your mindset isn't about safety. Your mindset isn't about what feels best or what's your preference. But your mindset starts to change your gaze. That you fix your eyes on Jesus, considering him. What would he do? What would he say? How would he respond? What would he do? What would he say? 
how would he respond? And that we would be fearless and confident in our ability to carry that out. That we would be tough as nails as him, consider him who took it on, fearless and confident for you and for me. Shouting insults, yelling down threats, but in an act of love and surrender, fearlessly and confident, gave himself for you and me. And just in case you're getting a little like, yeah, maybe you're a little scared, maybe you're like, I already do that. I think the, the writer of Hebrews just throws this little verse in at the end to remind you and to remind me, literally almost millennia later, that sometimes our fears aren't quite what we think they are. This is the little verse he throws in the end. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding. You maybe haven't fought as hard yet as you could. And your perseverance, though it may be at times scary, has not yet created or cost you your life. What if, what if we were capable as a church of being bearers of the same fearless confidence in humility that caught the world by storm and changed nations and leaves a remnant that is large today because of it. What if we were able to do that again now? What if 24 hours, I mean a week, what if we could live fearlessly and confidently and we would just respond with, what does Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What is he about? What if we just would your marriages change? How would your families change? How would your jobs change? How would the community change? How might our city change? If we just did this together, because the truth is, there was a time. There are groups smaller than this. Just believed that. And it changed the world. What if we just believe God could do it again? Tough as nails. Make sure you come back next week as we finish the series.